A. LaFay is the author of a book, a young adult historical fiction novel, entitled Worth, W-O-R-T-H, Worth. This is what the story is about. After Nathaniel's leg is crushed in an accident, his father brings home an orphan boy, John Worth, to help work the fields. Worth has come to Nebraska from New York City on the orphan train, which brings homeless children west to find new lives. Nathaniel feels increasingly jealous of the boy who has taken over not only his work, but the attention of his father, who has barely spoken to him since his injury. In school for the first time, he is far behind even his youngest classmates, and he feels as useless there as he does at home. Meanwhile, Worth is still grieving for his family and his old life. As the farm chores prevent him from going to school, he also resents losing his dream of an education and a good job. And for all the work he does, he knows he will never inherit the farm that he's helping to save. What makes us worthy? Is it our dreams? our accomplishments, our place in society, our self-regard. This existential question haunts us from time to time, especially when our measurement of our worth is threatened in some way. It begs the question, though, how are we evaluating our worth? How are we evaluating our worthiness? The Apostle Paul knows this deeply, this change of evaluation. For if you recall, he was a, a Hebrew of the greatest Hebrews. His lineage in the chosen people was beyond repute. Furthermore, his dedication to keeping the law was zealous, and he could be found without error. And yet he had a moment of encountering the risen Christ that turned all of that upside down to where he counted it all as rubbish, if you remember him using that word, and came to realize that his value was in the grace and love of Jesus Christ. He, know, he knew this so deeply that it infused every part of his life. You might recall this even in, as he writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, which we didn't read today, but he talks about how he's lost everything according to the world, but yet he's gained everything because of Christ. Perhaps this sounds familiar. This is from his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well-known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul would say and did try to say, desperately tried to convey, that we are worthless until we find our worth in Jesus Christ. It changes everything and takes our value out of the hands of the world. This is what he's trying to convey to Timothy in the second letter that he's written to this young man. We read from it here this morning, 
Paul is imprisoned and wants to encourage this young person who knows himself in Jesus. And even as this young person looks out to the infinite future and seeks to find who it is that he might model his life after or who he can see following Jesus in the way that he feels called to do the same, Paul speaks to him from behind bars and encourages him. He encourages him to rely on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Paul is saying to Timothy, follow in this way and you will be solid. You will never wonder about who it is you are because in Christ you will know yourself fully. I'm struck by the power of the gospel to help right every wrong, to liberate us from the sins of humanity. Because all of the sins which humanity has committed, I think I would say all of them, and we could test me on this and call me later if you find one that doesn't fit. But I would say all the sins of humanity, all that we've, the sins which have been committed, even new sins which we commit, occur from the invention of different measurement criteria than that of God's. Justice work is when we value all of creation, humans included, with a measure of worth that God has given us. So how can we come to see everything as God sees it? Last week at our Encouraging Justice program, which we had a dozen folks who came, we got to hear for a moment from Bruce, who's our assistant treasurer, about his work with the Episcopal Church in Connecticut, our diocese, on establishing right relationship with the indigenous peoples of Connecticut. There are several points of this effort, and he shared his journey in this effort. One of the points is to educate ourselves regarding past and present relationships and interactions with indigenous people. Another point of this effort is to explore and implement appropriate ways to foster right relationships with indigenous Episcopalians and our indigenous neighbors. And another intention of this effort is to work with indigenous people and communities to designate one Sunday each year and provide suitable worship resources for that day to honor the indigenous people of our state and the nation. We can see this even in our own state evidence of how the indigenous people have been disregarded at the Mashantucket Pequot Museum and Research Center in Mashantucket, Connecticut, we learn about how it is that the indigenous people were pushed out and killed in an effort to colonize this land. It was there that I learned about white supremacy, this idea of English settlers coming and saying, we have an idea of how it should work. This is better, making these little plots of land having livestock on the property that we can slaughter for our food, see how much better it is. And with the invention of whiteness as part of our um, taking of the census, you can see in this museum how that definition continued to change over time as young children from the Pequot tribal nation were taken from their parents and indoctrinated into this better way. It is disturbing to be sure but the reason for our effort is because we believe that in God's measurement, 
We are all valuable. And so God, through God's grace and mercy, can see us through this hardship, and we should not be afraid. Another beautiful illustration of valuing things as God does is in this intention, um, attention to creation care. The Mary Brewster Fund Committee put together an event out at the Hickories, the farm of the Brewsters, which is an organic farm, and learned there about the wonder of wildlife, <laughs> simply in the story of bees and butterflies, quite literally, and the plant life that feeds them, and what that does for all of the rest of all of us. I'm not exaggerating when I say that those that attended came back evangelists. They were filled with the good news. Did you know, they said, did you know about what the birds and the butterflies do? Are you aware of the plants that were native to the state and area and what this, how this has all worked for thousands of years? They were brimming over with this good news, eager to try to relay in some way something that would help me catch it. There's a beautiful article written by Dina Brewster out at her farm. And indeed, just through the science, you begin to realize the abundance of God, all that God is providing us. How did we never know? Or maybe how did I never know? By noticing what God has done, we begin to measure things differently. And today, you'll see the little pollinator path out there showing you some native plants. We can consider how we introduce these or reintroduce them to our land, our little plots, wherever we may find ourselves, and what it means in changing our understanding about what's beautiful in our environment. The garden will be open after worship as well, so you can go down and see. There's a little place, a little pollinator plot there too, noticing what God is already doing when we're not even paying attention. This is what St. Francis brings to our attention as well. This is what we've discovered and we keep discovering through his life story. His feast day is October 4th. And if you are unaware, St. Francis was from a very well-to-do family. He fought in a battle between Assisi and Perugia, and he was held prisoner for almost a year and then fell ill. After this, he had a vision to join a new kind of knighthood, which he understood to be in service to the church. He had other visions as well, which shaped his actions, further strengthening his conversion to giving his life in service to Jesus. After one such action, which ended with him throwing money away, his father, frustrated by him, dragged him before the civil authorities. When Francis refused to answer them, his father brought him before the Bishop of Assisi. According to Britannica Online, this happened next. Quote, before any accusations were made, Francis, without a word, peeled off his garments, even removing his breeches, and restored them to his father. Completely naked, he said, until now I have called you my father on earth, but henceforth I can truly say, our father who art in heaven. The astonished bishop gave him a cloak and Francis went off to the woods of Mount Sebastio above the city." End quote. We know what St. Francis has brought to our attention, penning such beautiful words like Canticle of the Sun, a brother son, 
He brought our attention to the wonders of creation. That's why we associate animals and birds with him and, and anything in creation with him. He's the one that created the crash, this image of Jesus being born because the good news is that God is incarnate and that all that we see, all that's created, beholds the goodness of the Lord. Francis said the gospel, the first gospel, was in creation. Look at what God has done for us. And so we honor him today with the blessing of the animals at noon, but it's just a little way that we mark his significance in our lives. For his message continues and continues, has continued for generations, and it is in Francis and those who claim his name that we remember the significance of all humanity. There's a reason Pope Francis took that name. Do you see how Francis came to know himself differently? How he started to evaluate his worth differently? It changed everything when he knew of God's infinite love for him. We, as people, keep losing sight of God's valuing of creation. We keep losing sight of God's ability to give worth in ways that are more true and more solid and more liberating for all of creation. It is God who knows our purpose. And this is brought home in our gospel lesson today. This brief gospel lesson, Jesus refers to slaves. It pains me to remember and pains me more to not remember that this scripture, among others, was used to legitimize chattel slavery in the United States. Indeed, people were valued by their slaveness. And we know that this is how black folks in America were valued because at Reconstruction, during that time, the violence against black people increased exponentially. No longer could black people be valued as slaves, so they were not valued as people. To be sure, there were folks that stood outside of this social practice, but collectively, there was intention to only value black people in their servanthood, not as full human beings. Jesus had no idea of our propensity for such evil, I believe, in telling the story that we read in today's gospel. Slavery in the Roman times was quite different than chattel slavery in the United States. But he wanted to use a familiar structure in people's lives to illustrate how it is that we see ourselves within a structure which gives us purpose. We find our purpose in who it is we serve which goes back to one of Luke's other earlier messages from Jesus. We cannot serve both God and wealth. What we serve is what gives us worth. It seems that in this time of coming out of the intensity of COVID-19 and all that happened in 2020 and 2021, we find ourselves in a massive reordering of evaluative measures. It is upsetting. It touches every part of life. We see that white supremacy has been taken to its fateful end. The question, though, for us is, do we have faith that God, whose structure of evaluation is supreme, because it was before our consciousness, even before our time, 
Do we have faith that God might give us a new way? Can we trust God with ourselves, our lives, in a new way, even a small way? I want to close with a story from Bishop Cottrell, Stephen Cottrell. He is currently the Archbishop of York, but he came to visit us here at St. Stephen's in 2017 for a revival at the end of August. We entitled it Come and See and worked with Christ Church Reading to make that happen. It also was assisted by some diocesan funds to bring him here. He was the Bishop of Chelmsford in 2017. And I remember a story that relates to this gospel, and if you were there, maybe you do too. He spoke of making one of his bishop visitations to a congregation, and at the end of worship, a couple came through, and the man said to the good bishop, you know, I'm not here as much as my wife is here at church because I don't have as much faith as she has. And Bishop Stephen said, well, how much, do you ha- how much faith do you have? And he said, I don't, I don't have very much. Bishop Stephen said, would you say you have a little faith? And this guy's like, yeah, I guess I have a little faith. Bishop Stephen said, how little? Is it the size of a mustard seed? You see, Jesus is telling these disciples who definitely want to have their faith increased, increase our faith. Yes, we want to have our faith increased. And he says to him, that only begins when you see yourselves and the world as God sees it. That's where you start. It can be the tiniest start. The tiniest start to reorder our sense of who we are in this world. One of the least painful and most accessible ways of changing our viewpoint is in Bible study and prayer. And I do highlight one of the least painful. Because sometimes we, our faith is increased when we've lost everything. And that's when we finally decide to reorder our lives. But the good Lord doesn't require that in order to know the abundance of faith. The good Lord promises that such pain won't have the last word, and indeed we see that in the heritage of black Americans who knew themselves important because Jesus said it and could see themselves outside of the structures of a white supremacist world. So pain is redeemed in Jesus, to be sure. But we can have our faith increased through Bible study and prayer. And it can be the smallest change in our practices. In fact, starting small is what God asks us to do. And so perhaps you say, Whitney, I don't have time to study the Bible. I don't even really know how to study the Bible or where to start in studying the Bible. I'm going to say, just bring it down a notch then. Could you pray morning prayer every day? Oh, I don't know. I'm 15 minutes here. I mean, I want to, but this is what my morning is like. Do you have any idea what my morning is like? Okay, let's bring it down a little bit. Could you pray before every meal? Starting small is all that God asks us to do. Because it is God who grows our faith. We don't do it. To turn to God for all of life, including the increase of our faith, is our purpose. It's what we were created to do. 
And so we can hear Paul's words to young Timothy as spoken to us as well. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me, Paul says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Amen.